Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, some of you may have heard of the Pacific Garbage Patch before. It's a swirling mass of mostly plastic human junk and a painfully large indictment of the folly of our species there for us all to see. But scientists have recently found that it might also be something else quite extraordinary, the world's newest habitat. Jim Carlton is Professor of Marine Sciences Emeritus at uh, Williams College in Massachusetts. He joins me now. Welcome to the programme. Let me just um, get an overview of of, of these garbage patches, because there isn't just one. Is that right, Jim? And maybe just tell us what they are, how they came to be, and how old they are. Yeah, uh, good question. Good morning. Um, the garbage patch we're talking about is in the North Pacific Ocean on the eastern side, um, north and east of the Hawaiian Islands. But there are essentially garbage patches of one sort or another in the m- middle of many ocean gyres, North Atlantic, uh, North uh, South Pacific, and that kind of thing. Um, they are largely formed of uh, what we call anthropogenic marine debris, mostly plastics that have entered the ocean from continents and are concentrated in the middle of ocean ocean systems. And they get there because of um, currents sort of colliding and creating a sort of a, um, a cyclone or something like that? Yeah, well, sort of, sort of the, the, the debris that comes in from the continents uh, then um, gets carried out into the middle of oceans, onto the high seas, the open ocean. And the nature of the gyre is to swirl around and concentrate that that material in the centers of gyres. But well, so, how does the gyre come about? The gyre comes out through ocean currents. Uh, and this is sort of a standard thing that operates in ocean basins where the currents moving around uh, then tend to concentrate things in the middle, much as if you might swirl something in your soup and the and things concentrate in the middle. So for a long time, um, we've, we've, I suppose, known about these, but uh, what is the extent of uh, these uh, garbage patches that are floating in our oceans? How big are they? How deep are they? They, they can go for uh, literally thousands of kilometers across. They're not, they're not a solid patch. You can't walk on the garbage patch and you could sail through the garbage patches for hours and not even see very much, but it is it is essentially a concentration. Uh, the one in the uh, North Pacific on the eastern side has been analogized with a, uh, something the size of the state of Texas. Oh my God! Again, not not not, a, not an entirely just solid mass of floating plastic, and basically the plastic began entering the ocean um, after the mid twentieth century when we began to use plastic uh, extensively uh, since the nineteen fifties, sixties, and seventies. Uh, how deep they are, um, uh, they are they are mostly at the surface of the water. You're, so what you were saying is that these patches, people probably um, are thinking that they're all, you know, it's all concentrated one spot. It's not really, it's sort of a designated area where you might have a lot at some part or a little bit, but overall there's a higher concentration across this larger area. Is that right? Exactly. So, um, yes. Okay. And so we would automatically think that something that that is hugely detrimental to marine life, and, and that is the case for them, for 99% of it, right? It's, it, these are hugely detrimental things. Yeah, we just, we, it, it, <laughs> there, there's hardly a positive side of adding that amount of plastic waste, plastic debris, and, and then the derivatives, all the microplastics that are shedding off of that plastic into the world's oceans. But, right. But, but the, there are um, some species that are finding, um, uh, a, a way to survive um, and, and thrive on these on these patches. Can you talk to me a little bit about your research and why you went um, about it in the first place? 
Yeah, this is the curious thing, which is that um, uh, there are native species that live on the high seas. They live on floating debris, and historically that would have been wood, tree parts, uh, pumice, that kind of thing. Um, but what sort of species? Uh, oh, all sorts of things. Um, the, the native species that are out there are called gooseneck barnacles. It's a thing called lepus, and there are associated species with that where they have evolved for millions of years to live on the high seas. And there are a dozen species like that, perhaps, in the North Pacific. What we discovered starting in 2018 um, and then have been pursuing since is that there are coastal species out there on the high sea, species that are uh, without question normally found along the coastal margins uh, and which we did not predict, would never have guessed, could survive out in the open ocean. But we began to realize not only were they out there, but they were reproducing and they were abundant. And when we finally got starting to work on some numbers, uh, the diversity of the coastal species was roughly three times the number of the native species that are out there. So let's just stay with the native species for a bit, because I'm really interested in this. These native species are essentially essentially sailors. Um, these species, they lived on floating debris, and that's been all they've known for, for since, at least since we, we've known about them, right? Um, what do they feed on, and how do they uh, you know, wh- how do they develop or adapt to this environment, do we know? Yeah, since, since time immemorial, they have, these are found in all oceans. They feed on, on um, the barnacles, for example, which are called gooseneck barnacles. They can be a foot long, and they feed on, on the plankton that's out there. Right. This is, this, in general, the plankton that are out there, the microscopic organisms, are diffuse, uh, not abundant, but they are highly adapted to feeding on what's out there and, they have, and are very good at that. Um, the fact that there was very little food out there was one reason we assumed that the coastal species could not survive out there, could not survive out there with the exposure to ultraviolet, could not exp- survive in a very different regime of salt and, t- and temperature. Right, because the, 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 you'd think, you know, coastal environment, very similar to, to a far seas environment, but actually uh, they're very, very different. Very different. You know, the coastal, the coastal, where we go when we think of going to the seashore, tide pools, the beach, that is a very different environment. It's, it's productive. It's rich. Uh, different in virtually every way we can imag- imagine and measure from what's out in the open ocean a thousand kilometers out. Mm. Yeah. And so these coastal species, what do we know about how they got there and how are they surviving? And why is this such a, such a surprise? Yeah, yeah, gosh. Um, we, we know how they got out there, we think, because um, of the plastic debris that comes from the coastal zone carries those species out into the ocean. Right. And in this particular case, um, we think that a major event that seeded the North Pacific gyre was the Japanese uh, earthquake and tsunami of March 11, 2011, which sent millions of items out into the Pacific Ocean. Those items... Um, uh, landed in North America and the Hawaiian Islands right. with hundreds of Japanese species. We assumed for a long time that those species were simply passing through the ocean on their way to the continent or the islands. And then we discovered that, in fact, they'd gotten off the train and, and were colonizing the floating plastic debris that was out there already. Uh, how they're surviving? We certainly assume that they're eating some of the same materials that the native species have been eating. But again, it's a shock because uh, we wouldn't think of planting a redwood tree in the desert. Yeah. 
it's a totally different environment that these species are completely not adapted for. Um, talk to me a little bit about the, the type of species, presumably given that they are carried across, these are more microscopic um, species or are these, you know, megafauna or, or fauna as well? Not so much microscopic. They can be the size of your fingernail or larger. Right. These are like sea, anem- sea anemones. There are no sea anemones out there naturally. We know that from 150 years of study, but the sea anemones are common out there now and um, are doing well. They can be very abundant. Um, we assume that they were not physiologically or ecologically adapted to live out there. And I lectured to my students about that for decades, that if you were a coastal species carried out to the high seas, it was a one-way trip, you were dead. Yeah. However, what appears to be the case, which we overlooked, was that it wasn't so much the physiology and the biology of the species, it was that there was no place to live. We've now hardened the surface of the oceans. We've inserted millions of pieces of plastic, and now we've added a physical habitat which can now be colonized. A and scaffolding, essentially, that, 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 they, that, can be, that can be sort of infused with life and, uh, and, and clung onto and used as a, a, a refuge and so on. Um, it turns out the limitation was not physiology, but in fact, a place to live. Presumably, most of these species are typically the smaller species, the more um, more rapid degeneration um, over time, right? The, the, uh, the species live shorter, they re- reproduce. Presumably, most of the species that we're talking about are too big to have undergone any uh, evolutionary change. Or I don't know if you've been reading about these different takes on evolution that are that are being um, proposed over the last number of years that perhaps yeah. evolution is happens in much quicker jumps and starts. I mean, have we looked yeah. at these species to see, have they devolved even micro uh, um, uh, adaptions to their environment? We don't know about that yet. Certainly micro evolutionary changes happen regularly. There are shifts in the, in the genetic composition of species. No new species have evolved that we can see The window here is very short. We're talking about inserting plastic in the last 50 years or so Mm. in a a huge amount. So a fairly narrow window. Genetic adaptation, genetic shifts certainly certainly could could be happening. We have not looked at that yet. How did you go about um, studying this? Because these things are far away. um, (laughs) And difficult maybe sometimes to get funding to travel all the way out to a garbage patch in the middle of the ocean. It is. Um, it's expensive to get out there. Um, so we have interfaced with some of the ocean cleanup groups that are out there uh, trying to remove plastics from the, from the ocean. We've interfaced with private sailors on their boats who have been out there crossing the ocean and would like to have an environmental conservation mission. And so we've had folks collect debris for us, marine debris called marine litter as well, um, and freeze it and um, get it back to shore for us. It's uh, been a tremendous uh, um, cooperation with what's called citizen science. We're, we're surely not hoping to preserve this ecosystem as, as, as great it is for the, for the handful of species. We, we want to clean this up, right? That's, that is the, the, the best outcome for most species is to get rid of this plastic from the ocean, correct? We're not, we're not considering designating this <laughs> in a new ecosystem that needs to be protected in the same way as perhaps the Great Barrier Reef. Exactly. Um, so the um, uh, major efforts uh, afoot to try to clean the oceans of plastics, the challenge there is um, it's very much like if you were cleaning up all the leaves and dirt and insects in your room and constantly doing that and forgot that the windows were open. Mm. 
So we have a constant supply. The continental supply pathway of plastics um, has not stopped. A lot of plastics continue to flow into the ocean from more than 125 countries around the world. And so there we have to, it's a, it's a sink and source um, uh, question, and we have to address the source as well. Are there any species that you've discovered on this garbage patch in the middle of the ocean that are doing better where they are now than may, they may have fared in, in the coastal area from whence they came? Good question. Um, so far, no. Um, some of the sea anemones are quite abundant. There's a lot of plastic out there. Um, they are species that um, can reproduce simply by fission. So you get one anemone turns into two, two into four, and so on. So um, there's a lot of reproduction going on out there, but we don't have good numbers yet that tell us some of them are doing better than when back home. Right. So what is the future then of your research, Jim? What, what are you hoping to do? Yeah, we want to really figure out um, uh, how they're surviving out there, how diverse they are, and particularly the phenomenon that we've observed now in the North Pacific Ocean is that happening in the other gyres of the world? Do we have coastal species living in the middle of the South Pacific, in the Indian Ocean, the North Atlantic, the South Atlantic? What's going on in the rest of the world? The prediction would be yes, that wherever there's floating plastic, a sea of floating plastic, there may well be colonization by species that we did not expect to be able to live there. Right. One final question about the plastic. Is there any evidence that any of these species may be able to survive on the plastic. We do hear about um, bacteria uh, eating up plastic. Um, there's no mechanism by which any of these animals will be able to turn uh, the carbons in plastic to anything um, of use, right? To digest the plastic. Um, uh, no, not as far as we know. We do find some of the sea anemones are spitting out little tiny bits of microplastic, but they're probably consuming the bacteria and microfilms that are on the plastic rather than the plastic itself. So all good questions and a thousand questions remain. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. Um, uh, and the best of luck with your research. Uh, that's uh, Professor Jim Carlton, Carlton from uh, Williams College in Massachusetts. Thanks for your time, Jim. Thanks very much. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.